Welcome to Thawhack. First of all, uh, thanks for coming on, Dave. I, I mean, I really appreciate you taking the time out. Of course, man. I'm excited to be here. Whatever you need, let me know. So I, I want to jump right into it. Um, the last time I heard, I heard you talk and I was, I was in the audience and it grabbed me immediately. First time anyone had spoke about a brand frequency. Uh, if you could expound on that and sort of get into it, I, I would love to break that down. Yeah, you know, number one, everything vibrates. So I believe there's a frequency to everything. The other thing that I believe is that people can only be aware of that which vibrates equal to or less than them. So there's different vibrations or different frequencies. In other words, every individual has their own channels uh, that they tune into, let's just say. But it's more than just tune into. Uh, it's the difference between what you hear and what they say. Uh, so your frequency may not only uh, render you not available or render you to not be aware, but it also renders your understanding or perception of, of what you're receiving. The signal you're seeing, receiving actually can have a different meaning. And we see that today that's creating separation uh, in a variety of different ways with politics, religion, race, et cetera. That some people are saying the exact same things, but it's being heard in a different manner, right? And uh, what I try to do as far as branding goes is to understand three things within the context of frequency. One, how strong is your signal? It's crucial for a brand to strengthen your signal. And we strengthen our signal by being as close to the truth of what we are as we can, meaning know our capability, what skills, what knowledge, what desire is incorporated or encompassed with what we are, our own personal brand or solution or service or product. They have a strong signal. And that's why some things become so viral, some things take off, because it carries a higher vibration or frequency that has a stronger signal. The most interesting thing about a frequency is the spectrum, uh, because you, it takes time to understand the spectrum. And the problem with spectrum today, compared to when I first started in marketing and branding, you know, running first uh, the world's first smartphone division in the 90s and understanding marketing there of how to educate a market on cell phones to moving to athletes, we only had to market a reality of a spectrum that could be as small as a township. Uh, but now today, anything you place into the spectrum can reach 4.4 billion people. And it gets confusing because people try to please all 4.4 billion people when what they should be doing is realizing the opportunity of the aggregate of the sum, meaning that the opportunity that with 4.4 billion people, I could be or my frequency could be opening kids' toys and get millions and millions of people where if you know my brand was opening kids' toys and all I had was a local radio station to talk about opening kids' toys, there would be no following, no branding, no marketing, no opportunity. But today, the person who opens kids' toys and has the strongest frequency for that makes millions of dollars because they reach millions of people, millions of eyeballs. So understanding strength of signal, spectrum of signal, and then of course, the practice. The practice is, is how clear your message. And the clearer the message, 
the more that it will resonate uh, or inspire or motivate somebody, in other words, to effectuate value. And so when I look at branding something, I look at the frequency, the strength of the signal, the spectrum of the signal, and the clarity of the message. And the better I get at all three of those, the better the brand is, the greater the opportunity. I mean, you hear the word brand over and over again, and it, it's at the point now where it's just sort of, uh, it almost has lost its meaning, right? People just say it now, to, it's like a buzzword or, or one of those things, sort of like tech. And when, when people talk about their brands, I feel like they, they don't really key into the, the personal aspect. They, they're sort of more so connecting to their brand in relation to how they want to be perceived versus how people are perceiving. How do people sort of lean in to um, be more authentic, sort of figure out their niche, so to speak, in terms of brand? Well, it actually is counterintuitive, but they have to look within themselves. Right? I talk about taking inventory of your values. Whether you're an individual or a company brand, you need to take inventory of your values every day. Your personal value, your experiential value, your giving values and receiving values. And if you take inventory of those values under the context that you're not afraid to be a hypocrite, meaning you're not afraid to change your values to learn and to grow, if you're able to take inventory of those values, change your values as you learn about yourself or your own brand, you will evolve and that frequency through that evaluation and taking inventory will strengthen your signal. It'll clarify what spectrum to get and allow your message to resonate with the spectrum that you're trying to address. So it's right? okay to change your mind. Absolutely. So it's okay to change your mind and, and walk back like, you know, things you've said in the past or decisions you made, so on and so forth. I think people are afraid yeah, to really? do that. And the, but yeah, they're afraid and then they don't illuminate it. And look, credibility is the number one thing that people don't understand. And what happens is the energy falls the, the non-credible people. Meaning, you know, if we're sitting here and you tell me, oh man, you know, my audience has grown 300% since last time you saw me, Dave, you're not going to be credible to me, right? Because if it actually was a big audience, you would tell me, Dave, my audience grew 2 million people since the last time you saw me, which is up 300% from the time you saw me. People, right? Meanwhile, the guy who tells me his audience is up 300%, he has three people because he had one people when I met him, right? But the problem is when yeah. they say things like that, even the stuff that is beneficial, that does have value, that is articulated, I start looking for and seeking, right, the skepticism, the holes and the cracks in what you do. People don't realize it's okay to change your mind. Just illuminate and teach people what lesson you've learned and why you changed your mind, right? I mean, I had money is, is a big issue for me. I, if you would have asked me, I would have told you, you know, 15 years ago, money buys love and happiness. My whole life was a brawl. I made fun of people that thought that, you know, they didn't need money. If they were spiritual, I would tell them, you know, man, you are you broke, sick, high on your mom's couch, dreaming about what you want. I went and got what I want. I'm in complete control of my life. Nothing could be farther from the truth for my life right now, but I illuminate it. Right? I illuminate the lessons that I learned that money doesn't buy love or happiness. And I tell people why I learned that and that why money is still important to me because it allows me to shop. And what I learned is if I shop for the right things, I'll be happy. If I shop for things I don't need to impress people I don't like, I'm going to be unhappy. But I'll go ahead and explain what the problem is. People just go out there and one, they won't change their mind because they're afraid that people think they're a hypocrite or two, if they do change their mind, 
They don't explain why they changed their mind. They're afraid to say, guess what? I was wrong. I didn't know what I didn't know. I learned something. I'm actually someone who grows and learns. And my brand is about that illumination and about pursuing the truth, pursuing your potential, and giving people the comfort level to be happy with growing and learning and accelerating. And that type of honesty is like super relatable, whereas I think people who want to come across as like having all the answers as in, or like, you know, infallible seems like this thing where I can't connect with you because this seems like uh, something I can't reach, a point where it's like I'm, I'm constantly having these self-doubts. I'm constantly in a place where I, I sort of battle with like, you know, imposter syndrome, you know what I mean? Looking at it from the perspective of, okay, there's this guy I aspire to be and he's figuring it out too is, is super relatable and, and somewhat comforting. So I, I get that. Yeah, and I think it allows people to learn and to share in your journey. You know, nothing's more frustrating than me to on the internet, to social media, seeing my kids looking at people in front of cars they don't own, in houses they don't own, you know, and literally putting up a front. And meanwhile, if I had the amount of money those guys had, I'd jump out the window, you know, disappointed in myself. You know, I drive my boat. I'm who I am. And, I, yeah. and the reason I, I get frustrated is, you know, in all fairness, no judgments or conditions is that's who I was. I would have been the guy sitting in front of a Rolls Royce in my huge mansion trying to impress everybody and trying to buy that love and happiness instead of allowing people to love me for who I am or hate me for who I am, but I don't want them to love me for who I'm not. You get what you see. I'm doing my best. And I think, you know, through my experiences of paying so much dummy tax, uh, and I call it the dummy tax because I have paid a ton of it. People, you know, I want to share the, the way I, I even brand myself business wise. I was like, imagine if somebody came up to you and said, you know what? You live in California. I'm going to pay your taxes for 10 years. What would you, what would you think of that person? It'd be heck yeah. Well, that's what I do. I, let me pay your taxes for the next 10 years because I have paid so much dummy tax, which is much more than California tax or federal tax. It cost me over a hundred million dollars of dummy tax. I don't want people to have to pay that tax. So I teach them all these different principles and pragmatic tools and values and procedures and time and all types of things for free so that I can actually get the value out of what I paid in taxes to the universe. It, like I, I've combed through like, you know, hours upon hours of, of your content, you basically talking about branding, talking about marketing and talking about entrepreneurship. And a lot of it sort of boils down to these human elements versus like, you know, particular skills and, and so on and so forth. Whereas people will lean into, well, you got to learn how to do this or you got to learn how to do that versus you're talking about like be this or, or be that person. What type of growth in, in you, I guess, help change your business situation in terms of your success? Monetarily, of course, even though you don't, you don't really care about the money part. Like, I think that's what people are locked on. I, I care a lot about the money so I can give it to other people and make change. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I do care about it. My, my motto is make a lot of money to help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. But you make a great point because humility is an interesting thing. I used to think humility was derived by how much I gave. I used to think the more that I gave, the more that I got. I would uh, unfortunately give to get at all times. It was a negotiation. Uh, there was judgments and conditions, acknowledgments and recognitions, always tied into my giving. Uh, and humility has changed that for me because humility before to me was simply I give service and value, right? I, I'm a humanitarian, a phil 
philanthropist. Radical humility to me is asking for help. Uh, and that's truly the soul of, of what I teach. It's a very simple soul. Instead of living by your why, I tell people, look, the biggest imposter syndrome that exists is that people, they're telling themselves they don't know what their why is. You know what your why is. Your why is to help somebody with something. I promise you, that's the motivation. I don't know what that is, but that makes my point that you don't need to focus in on your why, focus in on your what. What do you want to do? What do you want to have? What do you want to be? What do you want to work on? Where do you want to grow? If you know your what, then you can spend your time in alignment trying to find who has what you want, either in relationship, situation of knowledge, material goods, whatever it is. The easiest way to get what you want is go find someone that has it and ask them, hey, can you help me get it or give it to me or teach me how to get it? Whatever it is. The problem is most people see people as uh, gatekeepers, not sponsors. They already create the intention. You're surrounded by everything you intended. You give meaning to everything you see. The biggest frustration in business is people think that everybody's standing in their way. There's obstacle voids and shortages. There's not. The tree has no branches. We're all here to be of service and of value. We all want to help somebody. But people aren't asking, do you know anybody that can help me? Everybody in my life, I intend them to be a sponsor. In other words, they know somebody that can help me with something I want. And two, a power sponsor, someone that can help me themselves or find somebody. The good thing about today is most people know about a thousand people. When I was a kid, you were lucky if they knew their golf game, their card game, their church group. Man, we can reach the whole world really quickly simply by asking, you know, do you know anyone that can help me with what I want? But you can't do that until you know your what, which is why you take inventory of your values, which is why you understand frequency and vibration, which is why you understand your personal brand, your product brand, solution service, so you know your what. I promise you, you know your why. Your why is to allow whatever it is to come through you for others to help others. So um, one of the things I locked onto that you were talking about, and I feel like people fall into, because I realize some of my business relationship or my relationships in general are transactional. You realize it, you see it, but you're kind of in this like, you know, circular thing where you don't know how to get out of it. You don't know how to like, how do we sort of, shift into another gear and not have it be transactional and have it feel more organic, more giving, where I can ask for help and not feel like I have to get something in return or you can do the same. It's a matter of understanding, negotiating, trading, et cetera. So for me, there's three worlds that helped me understand that. The first was the world that I grew up in and a lot of people grew up in. And I think it's a great world to grow up in because I can't teach my kids the world of not enough. You know, when you live in a scarce world of not enough or you're a victim, where there's not enough for anything, for anyone, things happen to you, uh, it's a great world to learn it because you have to learn a lot of lessons in order to move from the world of not enough to the world of just enough. And I was able to do that, right? I fought uh, all types of different things and, and made it to a world of just enough where I was buying things that I didn't need to impress people I didn't like. And everything happened for me. I thought I was an optimist. I was trading, negotiating. Anytime I gave anything, it was to get something back. And it doesn't mean monetarily, but you know, I would give to charity so I would get recognition. I'd feed my ego with my giving. You know, The need to be right, offended, separate, inferior, superior, anxious, frustrated, angry, guilty, resentful. I'd feed my ego, give my brothers you know, uh, down payments for a house so that I'd feel better than they and you know, compete with them and want my mom's attention and bought my mom a house in a car so that she would love me more. All these things were a trade. But what helps people 
is to know that there's a world, a much better world, a world of faith, a blend of the pragmatic currency of money. Money is a currency. It's an object of energy that we put into the flow to get what we want. It is an en- a currency, uh, but so is faith. And if you can blend those in a world of more than enough, to really have faith that there's more than enough of everything for everyone, that everything comes through me with appreciation. I'm grateful for everything I have that comes through me, but I also add my value to it and I give it away. I'm not worried about paying my bills. I'm worried about paying other people's bills. I'm not worried about buying things I don't need to impress anybody. I'm worried about empowering others to empower others. And when I live in this world of more than enough of everything for everyone, in full faith that I no longer give to receive, I don't trade, I don't negotiate, I simply receive as much as I can with full faith that it's gonna go through me with appreciation for others. And I'm gonna create a flow, and instead of separating us, I'm gonna pull us together, unify us, create an aggregate of more power, light, and lessons for everyone, increase the unconscious competency of the world, a collective consciousness of happiness. As you know, and I do trainings every Friday, I'm on a mission, over a billion people to be happy. I'm looking for a thousand people like you, Reg, to empower a thousand people, to empower a thousand people. A thousand times a thousand is a million, a million times a thousand is a billion. Happiness is the best disease ever. It's spread simply by witnessing it. Somebody can listen to this podcast and become happy. They don't even know what we look like. They literally can just hear the vibrations of our voice and be happy. And that will spread. And guess thing, the best thing about happiness? strengthens you mentally, physically, spiritually. It protects you. It will actually strengthen your immune system. It'll protect you against other diseases. I don't know why more people don't focus in or give their intention and attention just to plain happiness and focus in on what makes them happy to allow it to go through them for others. Well, I mean, we're, we're living in a weird time right now. You're talking about happiness. We're, we're in a place where, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, it's, it's really hard to find something to lock onto to feel good about. How how have you been working through the, the roller coaster of I guess the pandemic? This is something we literally could never prepare for. How have you been working through it? Yeah, so for me, you know, I believed always there's three kinds of people. There's resilient people, the people that no matter what uncertainty presents itself, and there's always uncertainty. We're just in a compressed time of uncertainty because the change is so accelerated and things are happening so quickly that we feel there's more uncertainty. But you and I both know that we've never met anyone that is certain about what's gonna to happen tomorrow. There's no way, whether it's a touch of favor, favor or a touch of disaster, it, those touches could happen to anybody. Yeah. You're, it's uncertain. The problem is people don't realize we do have control of our mindset. We do have control of our heart set the way we feel. We have control of what we say and what we think and what we do. And I focus in on those capabilities and align them with what's synergistic or supplementary to what is doing well today, that is supplementary and synergistic to what's stable today. And then I look for opportunities of what may be oversold today that will be overbought in the future. And a real simple way to do it, you know, for me is I go and analyze the stock market and I look at the 50 companies that are killing it right now and I see what capabilities I have, skills, knowledge, and desire that are supplementary aligned or synergistic to those 50 companies and figure out how I can take part in the party. And then I look at the 50 companies that are stable, haven't moved in the last six months. And I look to see how aligned, synergistic, or supplementary my skills, knowledge, and desire, my capabilities are. And I go ahead and figure out how I can stabilize my economy and my opportunity. And then I also go look at the 50 companies from my experience, expertise, or mentorship expertise that I can get 
and see what 50 companies have been emotionally oversold. The pendulum has moved way too far. You know, example in my business, yeah. my business is gambling, right? Like I'm a student in history. Why? Because human nature never changes. One thing I know about human nature is people love to gamble. There's two professions, two very yeah. professions that always make money. And in America, we passed 22 uh, different states in 18 months approved sports gambling. Well, sports gambling got crushed. You know, it got crushed. If you don't think someday, right, sports gambling is oversold, emotionally oversold because everyone's expectations were so high with, you know, this new opening up of the market. If you don't think people are going to gamble on sports when we get to the post-vaccine here, you're a fool, right? This is a huge opportunity. So while other people are victims in a world of everything's happening to them and other people are living in the world of just enough, I've been living in the world of more than enough. And I'm taking action. I live by the law of Goya. I get off my ass. I'm more interested than interesting. And most importantly, I'm seeking help. I'm asking people, hey, do you know anybody that can help me? What, you know, if I'm going to buy real estate right now, let's say I want to buy commercial real estate. I'm going to the guys that have been experts for 30 or 40 years in the area where I'm at, in the expertise of what I'm looking for. And I'm simply asking them, hey, can you let me know when this is oversold? Because I'm going to buy. And if I don't have money, I'm going to syndicate a deal. I'm going to broker it, agent it, channel market it, channel partner it, whatever I can do to get my piece of the oversold product. Because I know one thing, that same guy can call me when it's overbought. And that's where the margins of millionaires are made in compressed times of uncertainty and accelerated change is that people are emotional and people that are emotional oversell and overbuy. And you can create a margin what I call the margins of millionaires, it was done yeah. from the depression to 2001 to 2008 to 2020. There's huge margins that are made because people buy on emotion and sell on emotion for logical reasons. And you can pick apart utilizing people who know what they're talking about, experts in their field to tell you real simply, hey, buy now, sell now. Well, I mean, the awesome part about everything you just said was I was expecting an answer that was sort of like, you know, abstract, but you literally gave me like concrete, do this, do this, do this. When the whole COVID thing hit, to be honest with you, I learned a lot about myself because I initially sort of, I thought I, I was a pretty resilient person, but it hit and I kind of was down on myself. I made all these plans, things kind of, part of the expression kind of went to shit. And I pretty much was just like, I spent a whole year setting all this stuff up. Everything kind of went away. All these deals were on pause. What am I going to do next? Because I, I don't want to say I fell into despair, but, you know, things got very blah. It took me a couple of weeks to kind of get out of it. Meanwhile, you kind of have everything on social media, all this, I guess, hustle porn and all this propaganda saying, like, hey, if you're not figuring it out, you're a loser. You're not this. You're not that, which, you know, definitely did help thing. What about social media, which, like, you kind of did your thing pre and during the social media era sort of doesn't really mesh with reality. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting because I break things down into two eras now, right? There's a pre-vaccine and a post-vaccine era. And if you think there's any stability until we get a vaccine, you're making a business mistake. And whether it's content that you're providing, a brand, a solution, or a service, you need to create a plan that gets you to vaccine. And then understanding what stabilizes post-vaccine, we can go ahead and make long-term business decisions. So we have to make our decisions today, personal, professional, business decisions based off of pre-vaccine situation. 
And what we can control in pre-vaccine is understanding and seeking the stable data that we want to effectuate what we want. Meaning too many people allow themselves to be inundated with information, right? You told me about three different circumstances that you allowed yourself to, to change your own perspective because of what I call illusion to unstable data, right? Where I would have given you advice as your business coach to say, hold on, stop, drop, and roll. Listen to me, Reg. I want you to seek what you want, right? I want you to intend what you want. I want you to pay attention to and give intention to the coincidences that you want. Let's be practical about what's going on. I know you had all these plans. Those are all post-vaccine plans. Let's create some pre-vaccine plans, right? And not create void shortages or obstacles with what you do have today. Controlling your mindset, your heart set, what you think, say, do, and believe. And I've been able to do this for so many different people and accommodate. I, you know, had so many different people look in all directions, including people that just literally thought they were clever because they went ahead and started a mask business. And now they're wondering, wait, what happened to my mask business? You know, I made some short-term. Look, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about looking at things, saying that within the next 12 to 24 months, we're going to have a vaccine. Until then, what am I going to do to grow with opportunities that exist today, stabilize with opportunities that exist today, and prepare for huge opportunities that are going to exist post-vaccine? Because the pendulum will swing. And when you look at things in the context that I control my mindset and my heart set, what I think, say, do, and believe, we start realizing that we have unbelievable capability and certainty, regardless of what accelerated change is occurring around us. When we start looking internally at our capability, what skills do I have, right? I'm a writer, a creative artist, a videographer, a lawyer, a doctor, whatever those skills are, and then what knowledge do I have and start applying them knowing one thing that what's going to get me through this and through me is my desire. Like the one common denominator is, you know, I've been blessed to have a top entrepreneur podcast with the greatest names in sports, business, entertainment, the most successful, fulfilled people. And there's only one common denominator. All those people that are successful, high functioning, high actualizing people, they must be what they can be, right? They must be what they can be. They enjoy the consistent, persistent pursuit of their potential. They're not lucky. They intend to have the life that they have, and they put the work in to intend and allow it to materialize. Well, the, it's funny. Um, we were talking about things that were infectious, and one of the things that helped me basically shake out of my rut, I'm a huge MMA fan, and to watch Dana White, who love him or hate him, this guy is persistent as all hell, pitch Fight Island and basically go through all of these, like, you know, these, like, I guess, obstacles to basically get um, a fight going, I was just like, dude, I gotta, like, it's obviously way harder for this guy. I gotta get out, I gotta get off my ass. What do you think about everything that's going on in terms of the UFC? I don't know if you've been following it. And how do you think COVID is affecting sports for the foreseeable future? Everyone who's going nuts without like, you know, the NBA and so on. Well, I think it's accelerated the idea of the stage theory. Uh, which is absolutely a theory, theory that goes beyond just sports. And the stage theory was created by Shakespeare originally, where he said the whole world is a state. Well, the more platforms that there are and the more connectivity and accessibility there is, really reveals that the whole world is a state. And so whether you were Dave Meltzer capturing your content in the closet or Dana White capturing it in the octagon, 
it doesn't matter. What is being realized within the context of all of content, especially sports, is that we need to capture sports, whether it was the last dance, right? That was a capture of the historical perspective of the greatest basketball player of all time, Michael Jordan, or whether it was the UFC, or whether it was what golf did, uh, you know, everything from the Tiger Woods, Tom Brady thing into launching, whether it's what NASCAR did. Uh, it didn't matter. What they're doing is accelerating one idea that we need to capture the content that people want to see most. Motivational, conversional, and inspirational content, aspirational content, and go ahead and modify it according to the platforms that are available. Amplify it correctly so that it's in the bite size or the longer, whatever format it might necessarily be in, in order to perpetuate it or monetize it. Those are the two things that you want to do with content. And so Dana White, was the first, and I think, you know, my own brand has benefited in the same respect that immediately right, when the NBA went down, I doubled yeah. and tripled and then quadrupled the capture, modification, amplification, and perpetuation and monetization of my own content. Because I knew that this was the, the era. All we've done is accelerated what I thought would happen in the next 10 years, right down to 10 weeks, and that the leagues, the organizations, the teams are all figuring out, okay, how do we capture what we do? Because we know it's good, right? We know that UFC is good, NASCAR is good, the NFL, the NBA, the NHL. These are proven entities over multiple years. They have an established fan club out there. People are willing to engage at any level. They're trying to figure out how do we safely capture, modify, amplify, and perpetuate it. And you're going to see more and more creative things. I think the NBA has probably done the most aggressive thing lately with allowing you know, the system, the playoffs, and the community. But in the end, the fans can be anywhere. And that's what the stage theory in itself tells you, is that the people can be anywhere. And we're learning that about our jobs. We're learning about education. We're learning about finance, right? And it's been slow, right? It was a big deal. You could you know, deposit your check on your phone by taking a picture of it. Oh, so a depositor can be anywhere? Yeah, guess what? So can the guy who's watching or a woman who's watching their favorite sport. They can be anywhere and they can now through technology almost replicate the energy, the emotional attachment they have to it. And in some respects, they can enjoy it much more because it's modified and amplified and perpetuated and monetized even in a better way than sitting in the top corner at the forum to see some game or some concert. So, Post-COVID, I mean, the NBA's pivoted, they figured it out. You have a lot of, like, you know, uh, organizations figuring it out. What business structure do you feel doesn't survive this? Like, I see movie theaters scrambling. They, like, I, I think Warner, Brother, Warner Brothers got into it with AMC. Um, like, I stream Trolls with my kids at home, which is convenient, but, like, you know, it takes away from, like, the experiential aspect of movies. What... I mean, it can it could be movie theaters, but what do you feel like doesn't doesn't make it to the other side? So, look, I think anything that can stay financially viable, meaning that I think some movie theaters will survive, right? So, what I feel the companies that won't survive, the restaurants that won't survive, the sports teams that won't survive, the venues that won't survive, were ones that were not set on a firm found financial foundation. Right. Unfortunately, in 2008, we all learned these valuable lessons and the savings in America for companies and individuals skyrocketed for 2009 and 2010. 
But by 2020, before COVID, we were back to over 75% of individuals and in, in, individuals and in companies that did 75% of our individuals in America, 75% of our companies in America have no memory, meaning they did not have enough to survive one month, one month of saving, one month. So the companies that are going to survive are the ones that were prepared for change. Yeah. And I, I don't think, I think every sports, all sports will survive. It's all the restaurant restaurants will survive. Bowling alleys, golf courses, they're all going to survive. The ones that were prepared took alignment, action, and adjustment, learned human nature from what happened in 97, 2001, 2008. And, now, and I'm personally one of those people, right? I learned my lessons. I paid my dummy tax in 2008. I learned my lessons in 2006 when bankrupt lost over $100 million in 2008. I've never been more financially prepared or secure to take advantage of the opportunities that exist right now. And I own a sports marketing company, and I promise you, it'll survive, right? I, a live event, the biggest events, right? All mass gatherings, Super Bowl, Pro Bowl, Masters, Kentucky Derby, Breeders' Cup, ESPYs, Emmys, Oscars, Grammy, and thousands of golf tournaments I work with. I'm still here, right? Why? Because I have prepared myself with skills, knowledge, and capabilities, and I'll come out the other side. It might look different, but it's gonna survive. It's all, all you've heard is like, you know, venues are hurting. Like, you know, I, I heard a couple of podcasts talking about how, I guess, the whole Dave Chappelle special recently as the, the uh, of course, the, the topic and subject matter was, was super poignant, but a lot of people looked at the setup, which was just as radical as, I guess, what was being discussed. And they were like, okay, is this the future of how it's being done? Like, you know, these venues are figuring out. Um, Michael Che recently did like a, a pop-up thing at a, a, a parking lot in New York. So, you know, I, I guess what, to your point, everyone who was prepared is going to be okay. People who aren't okay probably weren't going to be okay anyway. Resilient, stability, victim. Victims are not going to be okay. The stable ones will be fine. They just won't take advantage of the margins of millionaires. And the resilient ones will be just like in the Depression more millionaires were made because of the resilient people than ever before when the depression happened, which came into the roaring twenties, which caused an overbuying, which created that. I appreciate you so much, man. Thanks for coming on. Hopefully we can do this again. So anytime Reg, join me, David at dmelcher.com. Come to my free trainings on Friday. Thank you so much, everybody. Take care. All right. Thanks. Appreciate you. Thanks Reg. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Right on. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Catalyst Case, Sendstroke, Wildhorn Outfitters, and of course, Blue Microphone. This is Reg, and you're listening to Thought Hack.